0: You are listening to the Finance Professor Podcast, brought to you by financeprofessor.org. In this episode of the Finance Professor Podcast, episode 18, we're going to talk about my new paper, The Fed Funds Risk Premium After the Silicon Valley Bank Run and the Bank Term Funding Program. So I have done a lot of research in the uh, emergency lending programs of the Fed, primarily for the the financial crisis of 2008 to 2009. Not so much uh, the more recent stuff uh, that they did uh, during COVID, uh, but I may return to that given time. Uh, but I, I also uh, have been following this uh, Silicon Valley bank run, the signature bank run, and the, then the pressure that the regional banks have had And I think one of the things that was kind of like missing in all the analysis of this is that there's been a lot of really crazy action going on in the treasury market. And I think a lot of that has to do with the incentives for the bank term funding program and also for the uh, discount window to a lesser extent that, uh, that banks are given with this new emergency lending program that the Fed announced right after the FDIC, the Fed, the Treasury, the President decided to bail out uh, Silicon Valley banks and signature banks, uninsured depositors. And so uninsured depositors, something like 46% of all US deposits. So it's a big chunk of deposits it's also um you know one of the principal means by which the deposit insurance fund doesn't take losses so that uh, if you go outside of the like big money center banks and the regional banks there's not a lot of debt i think that they they have on their balance sheets besides the, their only liabilities are deposits so if you're not don't have that loss absorption capacity then uh then you're gonna see the deposit insurance take a lot of losses. And there seems to be no appetite at the moment for uh, a kind of broader uh, deposit guarantee. So I think one of the things that I think is really relevant today and was really relevant in the bank runs for Silicon Valley Bank, which lost 142 billion, according to uh, Fed Governor Barr's testimony to the Senate, in just uh, under two days with a a bank run. So both Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were very exposed to uninsured deposits uh, and probably more so than um, most other banks, the over 4,000 banks that are in the United States right now. So I think that that number has been steadily going down actually. So you can find that number above 10,000 uh, it was, I think, it was like above seven thousand when I was studying the two thousand eight financial crisis. Uh, but it's still a big number by world standards. So we have a very, uh, very large number of banks, and I think that's a that's a good thing for the U.S. Uh, and you know, we obviously don't want uh, these regional banks to fail. Uh, but we also don't want to do ad hoc guarantees. And those two guarantees were actually relatively expensive. Uh, they were $22.5 billion, according to the FDIC chairman uh, in his testimony, uh, which I cite in the paper. And so, uh, you know, what is the bank term funding program, and why is it, what is it do? So basically, it's, it was a, pretty clever design, I think, by the Fed and rolled out relatively quickly to, to try to make it impossible for a bank to fail if it has good quality assets. And what I mean by good quality assets that that are assets such as uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Treasuries, Agency, mortgage Bank, Securities, that, you know, either have a... a a U.S. government guarantee or an implicit guarantee. And so one of the things that Grunenberg, the FDIC chairman, has kind of highlighted in in his several testimonies before Congress over the last month or so uh, was that there are and and these are just in the quarterly reports from from the FDIC. And so ever since the Fed started its rate hiking cycle, the banks have had a lot of uh, hold to maturity losses that they're not showing uh in their capital calculations and so you know by the end of 2022 they had like total losses because they not hedged out interest rate risk completely uh that they were exposed to duration risk and as the fed has raised the the uh, fed funds rate uh, to try to slow down inflation and get back to their two percent target of inflation, uh, those those uh, securities which get kind of favorable treatment in terms of bank capital requirements uh, were going down in value. And so, you know, a lot of the discussion about Silicon Valley Bank is that they, you know, they took bad, they had a huge. Um, Increase in deposits with the kind of the run-up of the tech sector because they were focused on the tech sector and VC funding, and their deposit base grew, and so they bought a bunch of these, uh, these long-term, high-duration, high-quality assets that went down in value as the Fed hiked rates and. Maybe there's bad supervision because their supervisors are not really looking for has not been really looking for duration risk. You know, I think bar from the uh, the Fed in his testimony before the uh, it was either the Banking Committee in the Senate or the uh, Financial Services Committee in the House, uh, which I once testified in front of the House side uh, that. That he had, that the supervisors had given them a Campbell's rating of 3 at SVB, uh, which is not enough to put them on the problem bank list, and that's probably an explanation of why they didn't correct things, Uh, but maybe they kind of used the threat of putting them on the problem bank list to do things. Anyways, there's a lot of criticism of the San Francisco Fed, which was the primary supervisor of SVB. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank that they didn't they they saw these problems but they didn't force management to take care of them and Silicon Valley Bank didn't have a risk manager for like a year anyways it ended up being the second largest commercial bank failure in the United States so I think wamu during the great financial crisis of 2008 maybe they failed in 2007 I'd have to look that up uh, but wamu was the biggest. Failure and then Silicon Valley Bank and then the third largest signature bank. So Silicon Valley Bank failed before they could close it down on uh, Friday the 10th, March 10th, 2023, and then Signature Bank, uh, which has 110, had 110 billion in assets. Uh, as of the end of 2022, Signature had $209 billion of assets before the uh, end of 2022. So S- Silicon Valley failed on Friday the 10th, intraday. And then Signature's bank run uh, caused it to be shut down by the New York finan- state financial regulators, and then FDIC appointed his receiver on Sunday the 12th. And then Sunday the twelfth, before Asian markets opened, uh, they invoked the systemic risks exception. So FDIC, uh, Fed, I think it's the Open Markets Committee, the Treasury Secretary, in consultation with the President, decided that you know they need to protect all uninsured depositors, but but the the shareholders and and any. Uh, non-depositor creditors of the banks would get wiped out so it was a you know it was a bailout of the uninsured depositors but not of of the the investors in the bank and so the you know I think those were right moves Um, and at the same time they announced this bank term funding program which was kind of like the discount window on steroids so the discount window is where the is, uh, where a bank borrows directly from the Fed. So instead of getting a Fed Funds loan for reserves from other banks, you go direct to the Fed and you borrow from them. So it's kind of like the Fed is the lender of last resort is the discount re- window or primary credit. And that's, that has been, those loans have been a little bit more expensive than the Fed Funds rate, I think. Uh, but I mean, maybe 20, like on the high end of their range. So it seems like the effective fed funds, which are overnight loans between banks, um, it, you know, has been like 8% above the lower bound of the range. So like when it was uh, 25 to 50%, it was 33 was effective fed funds today i think effective feds funds is like 283 in the the period that i studied prior to the the last rate hike it was like uh four point five seven percent four point eight and so but uh this program is based on the overnight index swap which is seen as a risk-free rate uh plus 10 basis points so there's there's a little bit of penalty, but it seems to be now cheaper than the uh, the discount window, and it has better collateral terms. So the, so that I think the issue is that uh, let's say you you you're a bank that has a lot of bought a lot of treasuries. That's a significant part of your assets. You also have a lot of mortgage-backed securities. are a significant part of your asset and they're maybe agency mortgage-backed securities um, and so or uh, GSEs uh, securities and you those have gone down in value especially the mortgage-backed securities uh, because people are not repaying early anymore because of the higher interest rates Uh, and so those those high duration assets have gone down in value so instead of selling those to meet deposit withdrawals, you just go to the Fed and the Fed lets you post those and you get the full par value. You can borrow the full par value instead of taking a haircut on those uh, based on the discount window guidelines. It's also, so basically this bank term funding program, uh, the interest rate seems to be a little bit lower than the discount window. The term of these loans is longer. I think the discount window is not overnight anymore. It's like 90 days, but this the term of the bank term funding program is like a year. Uh, so it's very generous terms. Um, but the you know the Fed can get away with it because they say they're lending against good collateral, and the collateral is good if you hold it to maturity. So I mean, the, I think the funny thing is like the the um, and I don't, I don't think it's the end of the world here, but I just think it's kind of funny, uh, is that the, the, the Fed has, I was seeing, had has like a $1 trillion of mark-to-market losses, like 1.1 trillion almost. Uh, whereas the banking sector, so the Fed has like an $8 trillion balance sheet of mostly treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities uh whereas the banking sector's mark to market losses uh that they're not realizing because they don't have to realize them for capital purposes are 620 billion so the feds actually lost more on the interest rate hiking cycle than the banking sector uh but that's probably just a function of the the fed has like a bigger balance their balance sheet of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities are bigger than the the assets owned by banks, I'll have to look that up, but I think they're probably pretty close. Uh, and the Fed's obviously not hedging their interest rate risk either. Uh, so I uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think if you look at the treasury market, you know, the treasury market, you know, ever since we've had substantial QE coming out of the Great Recession which it kind of accelerated, I think, under the Yellen Fed uh, and then has accelerated even more on the Powell Fed, uh, you know, is is a government um, influence market on the long end and the short end. So it used to be only influenced on the short end for the most part. Now it's very much on the long end. And, you know, I mean, obviously the U.S. has not gone over the deep end as much as some other places like Japan which has 10 year rates of like 25 basis points or something on government bonds but I still don't think that you can buy these things with the expectation of holding and getting your you know money back now now if you want to have if you want to have inflation protection you can just buy TIPS but I I think when you're buying a 10 year treasury at this point you're you're basically buying the expectation that the Fed's going to go on a buying spree. So you're, you're waiting for the Fed to be the greater fool that's going to uh, buy, uh, buy out your treasury holdings. Now, you know, for diversification purposes of people of, you know, uh, at least in moderate, non-rising int- interest rate environments, uh, you know, you do have that nice flight to quality effect from 10-year treasuries and, and longer dated treasuries relative to T bills so it kind of they do tend to go up in though in the last 30 years they've tended to, to rally in in times of stress when the stock market has not done well but of course the last year of stagflation uh, uh, maybe it's just mostly inflation not so much stag but inflation uh last few years of inflation have been really terrible for the the 60 40 portfolio of stocks and bonds uh so anyways so getting back to the paper the idea is that banks have been given this kind of weird incentive to hold onto their treasuries don't sell them for anything so you've taken a huge amount of treasuries off the market and indeed you probably even Uh, encourage banks to buy more Treasury so I think one of the things I don't think is in the program which probably should be in the program is that it it needs to be legacy Treasury securities, so they don't encourage them to buy more Treasury securities Uh, but that was what they did during the financial crisis of 2008 they always said it was like a legacy security Whereas here, I don't even think they're doing that. So it's it so it's creating perverse incentives for banks to load up on treasuries, and also never sell the treasuries. So that's going to cause the treasuries to rally. You also have people that are worried about the banks that they they may fail that, that this this may be a contagion, uh, or um, the symptomatic of a greater symptoms. And there are greater symptoms here that, you know, I think the lessons that you want to draw from the banking sector right today, you probably could draw many of them from the S&L crisis in the 1980s and early 1990s, that in an era of rising interest rates, it's really hard for the banks to maintain profitability. They may have some perverse incentives to gamble for resurrection, and I don't think I don't think anybody especially in the regulatory community is really take looking at the lessons of the snl crisis but i think there's a lot of lessons there uh we have been here before uh in terms of this kind of interest rate environment and how that affected the banking sector and it's not good right so probably one of the even bigger things and we'll we'll show this in the the paper is that you know, I think it investors have woken up. So maybe they're not like panicked at the moment, but they've woken up to the fact that they're really losing out on their deposits. And so it's really silly to have an uninsured deposit, which is the limit for individuals is 250,000 and the limit for uh joint accounts I think it's uh 500,000 uh and you might be able to also have multiple accounts, you know. The, but it's kind of silly if you got that much money in the bank and you're not using it for transactions, to, uh, you know, to have it in the bank because the banks are not going to give you anything close to what the money markets are going to give you. So, uh, you could either buy direct treasuries, which is really easy to buy direct from the U.S. Treasury. Uh, but if you're really lazy, you could just buy a money market mutual fund or an ETF that tracks one, and then just forget about it, you know. Uh, and and then you get the you know the four percent annualized yield, um, especially if you stay on the short end of the curve. And that's that that also gives you a lot of dry powder if you decide that stocks suddenly become cheap, which. So I think one of the, the things is that we've seen that the, the Treasury yields post this program have really gone down. And part of it's the incentive of the program, part of it's a flight to quality, part of it uh, may be expectations, although we control for expectations in the paper. And so, uh, you know, I think that it's it, it just it just means that these lower Treasury rates, post this crisis mean that monetary conditions have actually loosened in the short run. So everybody says, oh, this banking crisis of these, you know, Silicon Valley and Signature and maybe some other regional banks that may be in trouble. Uh, this means where the Fed needs to cut interest rates. No, they don't need to cut interest rates because interest rates have been cut. The bank term funding program has cut interest rates. They have cut treasury rates. And nobody cares about Fed funds rates, they care about treasury rates. All the cost of capital calculations are based on the treasury rates, right? All all individuals' borrowing rates are based on the treasury rates. They're not based on the Fed funds rates. So if a big risk premium has opened up between Fed funds and treasuries, which we document in this paper, that means that monetary conditions have loosened and, uh, you know, That means that the monetary policies actually become more inflationary. We've we've seen that uh, in part through the expansion of the balance sheet for several weeks uh, by the the Fed. And so you know I think one of the kind of conundrums that one of the things that people uh, may not have realized is that uh, you know how can the Fed balance sheet go up but the the Fed funds rate Stay the same or or uh, increase, and why is that? It's because the the risk premium that people are putting on these Fed fund loans has gone up. Treasuries have rallied, so monetary conditions have actually eased, right? Which is what the the balance sheet growth was telling you, uh, and. So for the Fed to, to kind of get things back to where they were before March 12th, they would need to raise 50 basis points, uh, We estimate, I estimated the paper, and they've only raised uh, the Fed funds rate by 25. So I actually think monetary conditions are looser now. We, we still, we, so it's core inflation is about 4% as I'm recording this, and it's been kind of stuck there for a while. Um, which is the Fed's preferred measure. Uh, you know, unemployment is like 3.5%, which is kind of insane. So there's like, even though these things may be lagged ev- effects of, of interest rate hikes, there's not a lot of evidence out there uh, that uh, the the economy is, is slowing substantially. Now, in, you know, my... My senior loan officer paper, which you may have heard in the the previous episode of this, uh, the readings are pretty high for that, and that does indicate that we should have slowing GDP. And it seems pretty obvious from this banking crisis that you know those conditions are probably the loan standards are not going to get better probably uh, because. If banks have deposit outflows, they're gonna be more cautious about lending money because they would prefer to own treasuries than make a loan and then go bankrupt, right? So they'd rather buy up treasuries, which they can uh, post as collateral to the Fed than make a loan to a business. So the long-term effect, I think, of this program is that it's gonna lead to maybe a more severe credit contraction but maybe better than if there were a ton of bank failures, but but not not better than the pre-March 2023 situation, uh, which was out actually pretty bad. The, re- the in terms of uh, lending restrictions, that there was a lot of evidence that they were gonna the banks were gonna tighten up on loans back then. All right, so I'm gonna read the paper. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, here it is. I'm Linus Wilson. You can get the paper at linuswilson.com under the research section or um, in the show notes. uh, You can get a link to the paper. It's uh, free. Go to financeprofessor.org to find the link to my uh, research page. The Fed Funds Risk Premium After the Silicon Valley Bank Run and the Bank Term Funding Program by Linus Wilson. We find the emergency lending program introduced on March 12, 2023 called the Bank Term Funding Program, BTFP, coincided with a statistically significant increase in the risk premium on Fed Fund loans relative to the shortest term T-bills. We find the risk premium on Fed Fund loans less 28-day T-bills increased by 39 to 56 basis points in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank runs. This led to a stealth loosening of monetary conditions without a Fed Funds rate cut, in part due to the incentives created by the BTFP to have banks hoard treasuries and other eligible collateral. Introduction, Section 1. On March 12, 2023, the Federal Reserve Fed announced it would lend up to a year to depository institutions in their new emergency lending program entitled the Bank Term Funding Program, BTFP. The second and third largest depository institutions to fail in U.S. history had been seized after massive and rapid bank runs just days or hours before the btfp announcement son 2023 reports that silicon valley bank svb had deposit outflows of 42 billion on march 9, 2023 and it had requests for another 100 billion of deposits on march 10, 2023 when it was closed down by california regulators grunberg says the federal deposit insurance corporation fdic was appointed receiver on March 10, 2023 for the $209 billion in total assets SVB-based in California and the $110 billion asset New York-based Signature Bank on March 12, 2023. Grunberg2023 said both banks had unusually large uninsured deposit bases, with uninsured deposits accounting for 88 and 90, percent, respectively, of total deposits. Both failed banks had some unrealized mark-to-market losses from rising interest rates that reduced the value of their securities portfolio. Grunberg said that roughly one-fourth of U.S. bank equity could be wiped out if their $620 billion... Dollars of losses on securities at the end of 2022 were marked to market. Much of those losses were on risk-free U.S. treasuries and agency mortgage-backed securities exposed to duration or interest rate risk. The bank term funding program allowed banks to borrow an amount of money equal to the par of their U.S. treasuries and agency securities. This created an incentive to own and not sell treasuries. This, this paper shows that... After the BTFP was implemented, there was a statistically significant risk premium with over 99% confidence that previously did not exist between the effective Fed funds rate and the 28-day T-bills. We find that after controlling for maturity and interest rate expectations, this new Fed funds risk premium increased by 48 basis points after the BTF lending began. The additional risk premium on Fed fund lows over T-bills was between 39 to 56 basis points with 95% confidence. We also find large and statistically significant spikes in the Fed's balance sheet, bank borrowing, deposit outflows, and money market mutual fund inflows after the bank runs at SVB and Signature. The implications of this new fed funds risk premium was that contrary to conventional wisdom monetary conditions eased in the days immediately after the btfp implementation when there was no cut in the fed funds monetary policy target rate lower treasury yields reduce the cost of borrowing for corporations and households there is already a sizable and growing literature on the Silicon Valley bank collapse and its impl- implications for financial markets in the banking sector. Nevertheless, we can find no studies analyzing the impact of the Federal Reserve's bank term funding program, as the present paper does. Further, we cannot find any studies on how the aftermath of the Silicon Valley bank collapse coincided with an increase in the risk premium on Fed Funds loans relative to Treasuries, as we, as we have documented here. Pandy et al. 2023 found that the global stock indices experienced negative and significant abnormal returns in the days that followed the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Allen et al. 2023 argue that the two failed banks, uninsured depositors, and balance sheet risks were unique and did not represent an underlying systemic risk to the banking system. Jang et al. 2023 show that the number of potential bank failures in 2023 is a function of the cost of meeting deposit requests. Metric and Schmelzing 2023 find That the policy responses to these two bank failures, ad hoc deposit account guarantees, and broad-based emergency lending were unique relative to similar banking crisis episodes. Bales and Berghoff 2023 look at intraday returns and they find Twitter post tweets were associated with negative excess returns to Silicon Valley Bank prior to its collapse. Diamond and Divvig highlight how just a small risk of bank failure can set off a self-fulfilling Depositor run without deposit insurance protections. While uninsured depositors were ultimately bailed out at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, uninsured depositors did not know that prior to the banks being seized by the FDIC in receivership, no depositors, insured or uninsured, suffered losses at either bank. Their shareholders and bondholders were wiped out in the FDIC receivership, and the deposit insurance fund incurred 22.5. billion in losses, according to Grunberg 2023, after the systemic risk exemption was triggered. The systemic risk exemption was triggered for both SVB and signature banks by unanimous votes to the relevant boards of the FDIC and Federal Reserve in conclusion Currents with the Secretary of the Treasury in consultation with the President of the United States, while the uninsured depositors were protected in SB, SVBs and signature's failures, the Fed, the FDIC, and the U.S. Treasury were unable to provide systemic risk exemptions for uninsured depositors at other banks, which had not yet failed because the Dodd-Frank reforms outlined in because of the Dodd-Frank reforms outlined in Vergara. Losses to the Deposit Insurance Fund from the systemic risk exemption are paid for with a special assessment on FDIC-insured banks by law. Vergara explains that the Dodd-Frank Act prohibited the FDIC from providing system-wide guarantees like it did during 2008 to 2012. The FDIC announced the Transaction Account Guarantee Program, TAGP, on October 14, 2008, which was extended to December 31, 2012. The TAGP provided unlimited deposit insurance to non-interest-bearing transaction accounts, Davidson 2019 found at its peak that it insured 834 billion of deposits that was far from a universal deposit guarantee and Hayes 2023 found that 45.9% or 7. 9 billion of US banking deposits were uninsured by December 31st, 2022. In section 2, we discuss our data sources and propose two hypotheses. In section 3, we show that the fed funds rate and 28-day T-bill were joined at the hip prior to the bank term funding program. After its implementation, the lar- a large and statistically significant risk premium opened up for both the fed funds and LIBOR versus the LIBOR versus the 28 day T bill supporting hypothesis 1 in section 4 we find support for hypothesis 2 that the fed funds balance sheet aggregate bank borrowings direct borrowings from the F- the fed through the discount window and money market mutual fund assets rose significantly while aggregate deposits fell significantly in the weeks after the bank runs at SVB and Signature Bank. In Section 5, we conclude and discuss why the BTFP may be a monetary loosening in the short term but may contribute to a contraction of credit in the medium to long term. Data. We obtained yields on the 28-day T-bill and the two-year and 10-year T-notes from the US Treasury. The one-month LIBOR yields were from MarketWatch and the Costa Rican Central Bank. The LIBOR is the London Interbank Offer Rate. The LIBOR is the London Interbank Offer Rate is the interest rate on Eurodollar deposits and money center banks in London, which are not FDIC insured. Effective Fed funds rates were from the St. Louis Fed, The Fed Funds Rate is an overnight unsecured loan between commercial banks for reserves. Since the late 1980s, it has been the primary monetary policy target rate for the Federal Reserve. Chicago Board of Trade's CBOT 30-Day Fed Fund Futures for April 2023 delivery were obtained from Investing.com. The expected 28-Day Fed Funds Interest Rate On date T, FF28 sub T, is a weighted average of the effective funds on the day, EFFT, and the April 2023 Fed Fund's future implied rate, FFA. Sub T. There was no scheduled Federal Open Markets Committee FOMC meeting in April 2023. Thus, the implied rate is the post March 22 target rate announcements effective Fed funds expected by futures tr- traders. Let DT be the number of days until March 22, 2023, the second day of the FOMC meeting when policy rates are announced. FF28. T equals DT over 28 times EFFT plus the quantity 28 minus DT divided by 28 times FFAT. The expected 28-day Fed Funds Futures Interest Rate, FF28T, is meant to control for the fact that the 28-day Treasury yield has interest rate expectations for 28 days, not just overnight, as with the Fed Funds Loans. Fed Funds Futures are not an unbiased predictor of the Fed Funds Rate at Delivery, according to Piazzi and Swanson 2008. Nevertheless, equation 1 partially adjusts for the term structure of interest rate expectations embedded in the 28-day T-bill by putting those expectations in the constructed 28-day Fed funds rate. The BTFP dummy equals one if the bank term funding program was active. The Federal Reserve 2023B announced the BTFP program after the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank on Sunday, March 12, 2023. At the same time, the insured depositor of those two failed banks were protected from losses with the systemic risk exemption invoked by the FDIC Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. Dates prior to March 12, 2023 have the BTFP dummy coded zero, and after that date, the BTFP dummy is coded one. The BTFP charged the one-year overnight index swap rate as of the day the advance is made plus 10 basis points according to Federal Reserve 2023A. On April 8, 2023, FRB discount window said that that rate was 4.69% with the Fed funds target rate was 4.75 to 5.0% and the discount window primary credit rate was 5%. While this rate may have been favorable relative to the discount window or Fed funds rate on that day, the BTFP interest rate would have been in excess of the coupons on underwater treasury or agency collateral that was purchased when interest rates were lower. The BTFP allowed depository institutions to post U.S. treasury and agency securities and obtains loans of up to one year for an amount equal to the par of the collateral posted thus banks that had u.s treasury or agency securities that lost value due to rising interest rates could obtain maturity the maturity value of those securities and loans to stem deposit outflows these btfp loans had more generous terms in the discount window which took haircuts on collateral and limited loans to 90 days according to federal reserve 2008 there are no weekend observations we looked at two time horizons with daily data we looked at the 253 trading days from march 17 2020 to march 2022 to March 22nd, 2023 first. That is the start of the Federal Open Market Committee's FOMC's hiking cycle that began with the March 17th, 2022 25 basis point hike to the Fed Funds rate target of 025 to 0.5% according to Tepper 2023 until just prior to the announcement of the 25 basis point Fed Funds hike to a target of 475 to 5.0% on March twenty third 2023. Basis points are 1 100th of a percent. Thus, we will look at the interest rate data for just over a year from March 17, 2022 to March 22nd 2023, which had effective Fed funds rates between and 0.58%. Over the hiking cycle, the Fed Funds was on average one basis point less than the 28-day T-bill. The median observation of the Fed Funds being 3 basis points less than the shortest maturing U.S. Treasury security. The 2-year Treasury note yield was on average 54 basis points less than the 10-year Treasury note with a median of 51 basis points less than the 10-year. Thus, for most of this year or so of rate hikes studied, the yield curve was upward sloping as measured by these two U.S. Treasury note yields. Hypothesis 1. The bank term funding program created or coincided with factors that raised the price of treasuries and raised the risk premium on overnight loans to depository institutions. The net result was the spread between A. The effective Fed funds rate less the 28 day T bill yield and the B one-month LIBOR less than 28-day T-bill yield increased after the BTFP was announced. Here is a list of reasons why we think hypothesis 1 is true. The BTFP increased the demand for treasuries as commercial banks were immunized from losses from unexpected interest rate increases because they could borrow off treasury collateral at par. The BTFP decreased the supply of U.S. treasuries as banks could fund more deposit outflows with BTFP loans than selling treasuries worth less than par. After the second and third largest bank failure in U.S. history, unsecured loans to banks such as Fed Funds or LIBOR LIBOR, were perceived to be riskier. Longstaff 2004 documents the flight-to-quality premium of of treasuries. U.S. treasuries would benefit from a flight-to-quality rally and a fall in yields as a banking crisis seemed more likely. After the large bank failures, which exposed uninsured depositors to potential losses, many depositors were incentivized to move to money market mutual funds that invested in u.s treasuries or direct investments in treasuries driving down treasury yields finally interest rate hikes from the fed would be perceived to be less likely after the bank failures and the 28-day treasury yield would reflect that lower march 23 2023 fed funds rate hike chance Unfortunately, we only have weekly data on the Fed's balance sheet total assets, aggregate borrowings, total discount window borrowing, total bank term funding program borrowing, and total net assets from the U.S. Money Market Mutual Funds, MMF. S. Total assets of the Federal Reserve, the Wednesday level, weekly, not seasonally adjusted, borrowings from all commercial banks, weekly, not seasonally adjusted, and deposits from all commercial banks, weekly, seasonally adjusted, Our from the St. Louis Fed, Fred. The weekly Wednesday level discount window and BTFP lending to banks is from the H4.1 data from the Federal Reserve. The total net assets of U.S money market mutual funds were reported by the Investment Company Institute. The weekly change in the Fed's balance sheet assets, bank borrowing, discount window and BTF combined borrowing, total deposits, and money market mutual funds was the current week's level less the prior week's level, which was divided by the prior week's level. If the level at time t was denoted by LT, then the change was LT minus LT minus one, all in brackets, divided by LT minus one. We collected data just prior to the FOMC's first rate hike of 2022 on March 16, 2022 to March 22, 2023, just prior to the 4.75 to 5.0% Fed Funds target announcement on March 23, 2023. Since we lose an observation for change data, the first weekly change was for March 23, 2022. 2. The time series for the Investment Company Institute for Money Market Mutual Funds was more limited and began on November 2, 2022. The levels were all Wednesday levels. Hypothesis 2. After the launch of the Bank Term Funding Program and the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, A. The Fed's balance sheet assets, B. Bank borrowing, C. Discount window plus BTF borrowing, D total US Money Market Mutual Fund assets will rise and E deposits will fall. We are predicting that the bank runs and BTFP program Used to combat it will require the Fed to increase its balance sheet to support deposit outflows. Depositors will respond to the increased perceived risk and scrutiny on the interest rate gaps between bank deposits and money market mutual funds by withdrawing deposits from the US banking system post-BTFP. Banks will increase their borrowing and discount total borrowing and discount window and BTF borrowing to meet deposit redemption requests. In the days after btfp was announced alfonso et al found that the three-month cd rates at u.s banks only rep- responded to eight percent of the fed funds hikes between march 22 and march 2023 while money market mutual fund yields increased by 97 percent of the fed funds rate hikes over the period that period. Thus, uninsured depositors seeking yield or safety have every incentive to move away from bank deposits into MMFS is. After the bank runs at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Section 3, the rising Fed funds risk premium. We are interested in how the bank term funding program affected the U.S. Treasury market. In theory, the Fed funds policy rate should affect the short term rate, the 28-day Treasury yield, more than any other U.S. Treasury rate. During the March 2022 to March 2023 Fed rate hiking cycle, the the effective Fed funds rate explained over 97% of the 28 day T bill rate. The coefficient for the effective Fed's fund rate is significant with over 99% confidence in the 28-day T-bill regressions in Table 3. Model 2 in Table 3 says that, the four point, uh, that a 4.57% effective Fed funds rate, which prevailed in the days before the BTFP was announced, would predict a 4.65% 28-day T-bill. After the BTFP, the model predicts that the 28-day T-bill would drop by 36 basis points to 4.29%. The coefficient for the BTFP dummy is statistically significant with over 99% confidence. Insert table 3 about here. The 36 basis point drop in the 28-day T-bill yields after the BTFP was implemented, has a 95% confidence interval of 54 to 17 basis points with a standard error of 9 basis points. Thus, if the Fed wanted to maintain the same monetary tightness after the BTFP as existed prior to it, the FOMC would have had to raise Fed funds by 36 points in expectation. In Table 4, we look at the risk premiums for short-term bank liabilities of the Fed funds and one-month LIBOR over 28-day treasuries during the one-year rate hiking cycle studied. Over this period, the T-bill yield exceeded the effective Fed funds rate by an insignificant 2 basis points prior to BTFP. That means there was no risk premium for the effective funds rate prior to the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank runs. After their failure, there was a statistically significant 30 basis point risk premium for fed funds with 99% confidence. The 95% confidence interval for the post BTFP risk premium was 11 to 48 basis points with a standard error of 9 basis points. The one month LIBOR is an interest rate on uninsured US dollar deposits between London banks. That risk premium over the 28 day T bill was statistically significant with 99% confidence at 21 basis points. After the BTFP program started, the risk premium on the LIBOR rose by a statistically significant 24 basis points. Thus, on average, average post-BTFP, Model 2 of Table 4 predicts that the one-month LIBOR spread over the 28-day T-bill rose to 45 basis points. Insert Table about 5 about here. In Table 5, we look at interest rate measurements in the 34 trading days between the February 1, 2023 FOMC rate hike and the announcement of the March 23, 2023 rate hike. Over this period of February 2, 2023 to March 22, 2023, the Fed Fund's target rate was 45 to 4.75%. The BTFP dummy was statistically significant in all regressions. It was significant with over 99% confidence in all models, except model two with the effective fed funds rate as the dependent variable. The policy target, the effective Fed fund rate, ticked up less than a basis point with 95% confidence. Treasury rates dropped significantly with over 99% confidence as predicted in hypothesis one. The 28-day bill yield dropped by 38 basis points in table four model one, in line with the longer time series estimates in table three model two. Table five model six estimates the Fed fund spread over the 28 estimates that the Fed funds spread over the 28-day T-bill, widened by 38 basis points after the BTFP and bank runs. Prior to that, it was negative four basis points with 90% confidence. With the T-bill yielding more than the effective Fed funds, the one-month LIBOR risk premium spiked by a statistically significant 48 basis points in Model 7, also increasing with 99% confidence where the two-year less the 10-year note spread and the Fed funds less the 10-year note spread. These results are all consistent with Hypothesis 1, Parts A and B. To control for changing expectations of the rate height probabilities, we use the April 2023 Fed Fund Futures. These reflect the market's expectations of the post-March 23rd, 2023 FOMC announcement effective Fed Fund Fed funds rate. After adjusting for the term structure prior to BTFP, the 28-day Fed funds rate from equation one was five basis points less than the 28-day T-bill, which was significant with 95% confidence. After the bank runs and the BTFP, FP program, the risk premium on the Fed funds over the one-month T-bill jumped by 48 basis points, according to Model 6 of Table 5. That increase was statistically significant with 99% confidence. The basis point spread of the expected 28-day Fed funds less the 28-day T-bill increased by 39 to 56 basis points with a standard error of 4 basis points. Thus, the Fed would have had to hike by 48 basis points on March 23, 2023 to offset the effects of the bank term funding program and the flight to quality. The rate hike was 25 basis points on March 23, 2023. Section 4, The Contradiction of a Bigger Balance Sheet and No Fed Funds Rate Cut One thing that reinforces the decreasing relevance of the Fed Funds Rate as a measure of policy tightening is the simultaneous rise in the Fed's balance sheet while the policy rate was unchanged. Open market operations dictate that the Fed should sell Treasuries to tighten policy. The increasing spread between the yields on the Fed Funds due to the bank risk premium treasury price support by the discount window and bank term funding program lending and the flight to quality meant the fed could loosen monetary policy in the weeks after the btfp and maintain the same effective fed funds rate we argue that the growth of the balance sheet and declining treasury yields may be a better indicator of loosening monetary policy in the short term than the effective Fed funds rate. In Model 1 of Table 6, we see the trend from March 23, 2022 to March 22, 2023 was a decline in the Fed's balance sheet by 0.1% per week, which was statistically significant with 99% confidence. At the same time, the balance sheet ballooned by 2.5% per week after the btf P was enacted. The BTFP dummy is statistically significant with over 99% confidence. In Model 2 of Table 6, we see that with 90% confidence that there was a negative relationship with the effective Fed funds rate and the Fed's balance sheet. A 1% higher effective Fed funds rate was associated with a weekly decline in the balance sheet of 0.1%. The BTFP dummy is positive and significant in both Models 2 and 3 with 99% confidence. In Model 3 of Table 6, we also find a negative and significant relationship with 90% confidence between the weekly change in the Fed's balance sheet and the 28-day T-bill yield. These results in Table 6 support Hypothesis 2A. Insert Table 7 about here. In Table 7, we show that bank borrowing direct loans from the Fed to depository institutions and Money Mark Mutual Fund MMF assets increased significantly in the weeks after the bank runs and the BTFP was implemented with over 99% confidence. With over 99% confidence, U.S. deposits declined by 0.8% per week after the bank runs of Silicon Signature and Silicon Valley Bank. The percent of these average weekly moves after the BTFP was announced are huge. Total bank borrowings grew 13.3% per week after the bank runs. Direct borrowing for the Fed through the discount window in BTFP grew by an average of 1,726.8% per week after the BTFP was announced. There was a 2.1% per week growth of the Money Market Mutual Fund total assets after BTFP. Simply put, U.S. banks had to borrow a lot of money to pay for deposit flight right after the second and third largest commercial bank failures in U.S. history in March 2023. Many of those deposits Went into money market mutual funds. The results in Table 7 support hypothesis 2, Parts B, C, D, and E. Conclusion In this paper, we have shown that a large and statistically significant risk premium opened up between the Fed funds rate and the 28 day T bills after the bank term funding program was rolled out on March 12, 2023. This emergency lending program was meant to prevent devastating bank runs similar to those that toppled the 209 billion and 110 billion Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank respectively we argue that the bank term funding program created incentives for banks to refuse to sell treasuries which translated into lower treasury yields The new lending program may have contributed to a statistically significant 48 basis point increase in the spread between the effective Fed funds rate and the 28-day treasury bills that opened up in the days after the BTFP started lending to depository institutions. This was a stealth monetary loosening without a Fed funds rate cut, which has been rarely discussed. The Fed funds target rate was able to be changed while there were large, statistically significant increases in the Fed's balance sheet of mostly Treasury and agency securities in the days after the failures of SVB and Signature. Since the tight relationship between the Fed funds rate and the 28-day T-bills may be broken post-BTFP, policymakers may want to look at other interest rate metrics to see if their monetary policy is inflationary or contractionary. While the BTFP and flight to quality was stimulative in the short run because They led to reductions in the risk-free rate and thus the cost of borrowing for businesses and households. Its long-to-medium-term effects may be contractionary. Banks borrowing from the Fed will have less money to lend. Tightening of loan standards through the Senior Loan Officer Survey has been shown to be predictive of future declines in GDP by Loan et al. 2000, Loan & Morgan 2006, and Cunningham 2006. Chava, et al., 2015, and Wilson have even found that rising loan standards may even predict falling stock returns. Thus, treasury and agency security hoarding by banks will mean lower growth in lending and investment in the medium to long term.